talking about the parables of Jesus, and um, we're kind of going to approach Christmas, and we'll kind of move off onto some other things, but um, there's just so many good parables, and uh, they're such powerful stories, they're powerful teachings that Jesus gave to us, and, and a parable is what? Again, a parable means two things, thrown alongside, man, we are learning good stuff. And um, how, many, how many parables, a little test, how many parables about other in the New Testament that Jesus told? Somebody? 80. 80. No, half that? 40. Plus six. 46. <laughs> nice. Yeah, you guys are good. 46, about 46 parables in the New Testament. They tell a story, they paint a picture. It's God's way of bringing like the canon or the, the scriptures, the truths of heaven to the curb, the canon to the curb, uh, so that we can understand, you know, we're just curb people down here. And uh, we're not very bright. When it comes to kingdom things, when it comes to heavenly things, spiritual truth, I mean, God's ways are not our ways, right? They're just not. He's, 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 we can't even imagine the things of God. So he has to package it in ways that we can get it, right? Little old me, you know, little old us in the flesh here. Uh, there's usually a point, and then there's other things. And so there's a lot in a parable that we can learn from. They, uh, parables take sudden turns, you know, they leave you hanging sometimes. Sometimes they just end abruptly, and you're left going, now what? You know, what, what happened next? And, and nothing. You just, that's it. So in today's parable, Jesus, he's about to call out some people in our parable today. Some very important people. And he's about to call them out because as important as they think they are, they are not producing fruit. There's no evidence of God in their life. There's no fruit. They're religious people. They know a lot, but there's no fruit. And he's going to call them out. So Matthew 21, look with me in Matthew 21. And we're going to march through this uh, story, this passage, and then just draw some conclusions on how it might apply to us. Um, so, so get your Bibles and your pens ready and your pencils ready and my prayer is that God will speak to you through His Word as we think about these things today. So verse 33, Matthew 21. It's another parable that Jesus is going to tell. Here we go. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it. He dug a wine press in it. And he built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and he went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. His fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. All right, stop right there. So this is, uh, this is the parable. This is the story that Jesus is going to tell and to share with this group of people who are listening to the things that Jesus is teaching. 
right? He's talked a lot in parables. He's told them lots of stories. And this is another one of those kingdom truths. And it's a very simple parable about a, a, a landowner who, who built this awesome vineyard. He put up like a, he built a wall around it. It was totally protected. No animals were going to get to it. No people were going to steal from it. And he rents it out to these people, these guys, and they take care of it and they raise the, the fruit of the vineyard, whatever it is, probably grapes. And uh, when it came time for them to give back to the owner, they didn't want to. They're like, this is mine, mine, mine. Me, me, me. Ours, ours, ours. And so he sent some servants to, to get his part of the harvest, which was standard, right? Custom. And uh, they begin to think in their minds, well, here are these servants and we got all this harvest, we're keeping it. We're keeping it to ourselves. We're not sharing any with the king. And so they, they beat these servants and they kill them. He sends more servants, you know, this landowner. He thinks, well, I don't know what happened the first time. Got in a scuffle and they didn't come back. So he sends more and they go and the same thing happens. And so you got to imagine the landowners probably wondering, what, what's going on here? There's been a, like a, a takeover here. There's been a, a, a hijacking of my vineyard, right? Because the landowner owns the vineyard. It's his. But these guys, these evil people, have kind of taken over the thing, and they are not going to give to the landowner what he deserves. And so he thinks, well, I'll send my son, right? I'll just send my son. Surely they're going to respect my son, right? He's my son. He's my flesh, my blood. And he sends his son and, and now they, they begin to lick their chops and realize that if we just take the sun out, we will own this. This will become ours. It'll be ours. We can do whatever we want with this. We'll just hijack. We're going to hijack the vineyard. Remember what a parable is. We remember that a parable is, is Jesus telling us a story that means way more than what it looks. And, and that's what Jesus is doing here. And uh, he's about to get real serious with some people that think that this is about someone else. You know, ever been there? <laughs> right? Somebody's talking, somebody says something, goes, yeah, I wish my husband was here to hear that. Or, you know, I wish uh, my, my boyfriend was here to hear that. You know, it's always about someone else. But, but in this case, it's not about someone else. It's going to be about them. And so... That's the story. That's just kind of like, the, the, like the, the setting up. It's a setting of the stage of what Jesus is really getting at. So in verse 40, in verse 40, uh, Jesus says, uh, Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And so he asks the question. When the owner comes, when the owner of the land, okay, sent servants, servants, son, killed them all, now the owner's going to show up. You can bank on it. He's coming. Right? He is coming. He's still going to come. He's going to come. He sent all these other people ahead of himself, but he's going to come, and he says, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what do you think he's going to do to these tenants? That's a serious question. And they're, you got to remember, he's talking to these people, and they're thinking about this. And so verse 41, verse 41 says, they replied... They replied, and, and, and the cool thing about this is Jesus tells the story, and right away he brings them, the audience, the people listening, right into it, and he asks them, 
What do you think the, the owner of the vineyard will do when he comes? And they reply. And here's what they replied. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end. Uh, we don't talk like that, right? <laughs> we don't talk. Uh, have you ever said that, Mike, to anybody? <laughs> We're going to bring those wretches to a wretched end, man. I'm going to take them out. You know, we don't talk. We just don't talk like that. You know, we don't. Uh, and when the idea is that these evil people, they've done evil, and they are going to an evil end. They're going to they're gonna get what's coming, right? And that's pretty aggressive. Like, that's real aggressive. Like, Jesus tells a story, and these guys are like, yeah, they're going to die. These people got to go. We're gonna, he needs to take them out right now. If I were the landowner, I'd come in with my army and just wipe them out. You know, take them outside those walls and bury them deep. Pretty aggressive. And... Not only will, uh, will he bring those wretches to a wretched end, he says, but and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest. Now that's good. That's not bad, right? That's pretty good. Like they're thinking, they're thinking these first group that took over the vineyard, they they. Gave it, it was all about them, and so, you know, they've got to go, and now we're going to let other people come in and take over the vineyard and run it, and they will give the right share of crop back to the master, back to the owner. And so logically, they've, they've, they've got it, right? They get it. They get what Jesus is getting at. Verse 42, Jesus says this. He says, have you never read... And he's going to begin to tie some things together, some, some canon things with some curb things. Okay? He says, have you never read in the scripture, the stones the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in his eyes. So he says, have you never read the scriptures, like the Old Testament scriptures, where it says the stone, who is the Messiah, the Christ, the stone, Jesus, who the builders, the Jewish leaders, rejected has now become the most important stone in the whole building. Have you never read this? I mean, Jesus says this to them like, you guys know exactly what's going on, and yet you did exactly what you shouldn't do. It's like you know better, but it doesn't matter to you. You're just going to do what you want to do because you want it to be about you. And he says, the Lord has done this, exactly what the Lord said would happen in the Old Testament, is now in this very moment being fulfilled through the Jewish leaders who have rejected the stone that the builders should have used and threw away. And that stone has become the cornerstone, the most important stone, the one that holds it all together. And he says, the Lord has done this. This is exactly what God has saw was going to happen, knew would happen, and it is happening exactly like he saw it. And this is a marvelous in our eyes. And the parable just shifted. It took a really weird turn. It went from a story of a landowner that just seemed kind of like, okay, this is a nice story, but not a very good ending, to the truth about Jesus and the kingdom of God. And it got, like, it got real serious, like when you know, you're, you're, you're in a group of people and you're just talking about stuff and everyone's just laughing and talking and then somebody says something real serious and it's like, ooh, you know, just the whole mood changes. You know, you've been there, right? And that's what's happened here. That's what's happened here. Jesus just said something and then he quoted a passage of scripture and now they're beginning to go, this just got serious really quick. 
And he's about to call the religious leaders on the carpet for this. So check this out. Verse 43. Verse 43 says this. Therefore, therefore, okay? Therefore is referring to because the Jewish leaders rejected the cornerstone, which he just said, therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away, not from them, but from you. They're there in the crowd. And he says, it will be taken away from you. And it will be given to a people who will produce its fruit. That's, that's in your face. I mean, he just, he just body slammed them, like hard. This is not like a joke. This is not Jesus beating around the bush. Jesus is calling them out on the carpet for what they have been doing and what they continue to do because they, con- they continue to not repent and to change. They want it their way and they want it now. And Jesus just said to them, the kingdom will be taken away from you. And I don't know, maybe pointed at them, at all of them in the back row because they're listening from the shadows, you know, and given to a people who will produce its fruit, right? That's good. Remember John the Baptist, he said, bear fruit in keeping with what? Repentance. John said long ago, earlier, earlier in Jesus' ministry, bear fruit that will bear, uh, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, if you have repented, fruit will come forth. If you have come to God, if you've given your life to Christ, fruit will result in that, if it's true repentance. If you've truly come to God and given your life to Christ, and you are living your life for Jesus, fruit will come forth because the Holy Spirit in you will produce fruit. He'll do it in you if you've truly repented. And then he defines this parable. Like the you, verse 43, he says, taken from you are the tenants, right? And the tenants are the chief priests and the Pharisees. Verse 45, he says, they knew he was talking about them. So the Jews in the crowd, the religious leaders in the crowd, began to realize that this is not just a story about some people over there. Jesus is talking to me. I mean, they they knew he was talking to them. And that's not going to make them very thrilled, right? They knew, the scripture says, they knew he was talking about them. In other words, they're busted. I mean, they are so busted. This is not like Jesus just telling a story and nobody kind of knows who he's talking about, vagueness. This is very clearly Jesus pointing them out. This is like, remember when King David, remember he got Bathsheba, or Bathsheba and then he had her husband Uriah killed. Remember that? And Nathan comes to him and he tells him this little parable, another parable in the Old Testament. So 47, we're at 47 now. Um, he tells him this little parable about a, a guy who had lots of animals and farm, and he's a rich guy. And um, a neighbor, he has a neighbor who has this little bitty ewe lamb, kind of like a pet to the family, you know, like, like ginger, kind of like a ginger, but a, but a lamb. And, um, and uh, the guy, the rich guy with all the animals, has a guest come visit, and instead of going out and killing one of his, his animals, he goes and he sends servants to go get the little ewe lamb from the neighborhood. That's all they have, and he butchers it. And he feeds it to his neighbor, poor Ginger. And he feeds it to the neighbor, or he feeds it to his visitors. And, 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 and this guy is in David's kingdom, and David says, oh, that guy must die. And remember, Nathan points at him and says, you're that man. It's you. You did that. Well, that's kind of what's happening right here. It's like before they're thinking, well, some of these people are evil. Man, they should have never, they should have given the owner his due. And then Jesus says, you're them. 
you're it. And they're, they're now like on the spot. Verse 43, and given, he says, taken from you and given to people who will produce fruit. And given to them or people or those who will produce its fruit. The fruit, right? The fruit of the kingdom of God. That's what, that's what they should be producing, fruit, right? That's what, that's what God's people should be producing, fruit. And producing fruit is directly connected to at least two things. Two things. Two things. Connected to two things. Number one, a personal relationship with Jesus in your life, right? When Jesus is in your life, the, the John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches, you remain in me, you'll bear much fruit. If, if Jesus is in your life, you will bear much fruit. And the second thing that is connected or directly connected to bearing fruit for the kingdom of God is that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. That The Holy Spirit is living in you, producing fruit. And there's lots of scripture that you could dig into about just those two little things right there. About producing fruit, a relationship with Jesus and what that looks like and what that results in. And the Holy Spirit living in your life, the results of that. But here's a couple results. First of all, there will be the fruit of the Spirit in you, right? Right? Joy, peace, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All those things that the Holy Spirit has to bring into your life will begin to grow out of you. You will be this, this fruit tree of God living in the world, right? You'll be God's like plant in the, in the world, right? You will have deep roots and you will produce fruit if the Holy Spirit and if Jesus are living in you. The other thing is the fruit of your lips. Hebrews 13 says, um, you know, we bring a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips to God. When we worship, we are bringing the fruit of our lips to God, right? And that's really important, that we, that we confess that we believe and that we live what we believe. Not just say it, but do it. See, the religious leaders are really good at saying it, but they're really bad and horrible at doing it. And so the, 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 the praise of our lips or the fruit of our lips is that we give God glory and then we go out and we live that glory. We live God's glory in the world. And the other uh, thing is this, that fruit, the fruit of God or the fruit that is connected to the kingdom of God is fruit that will last. It isn't fruit of this world. It isn't like an investment. It isn't like building homes or stuff like that. This is fruit that will last forever, for eternity, eternal fruit. And he says, it's going to be, the kingdom of God is going to be taken from you and given to those who will produce fruit. And that's pretty open-ended. That's a lot of people. That's really anyone. Anyone who chooses. Anyone who says, I'm going to live for God and not for me, or I'm going to live for God or not for my agenda, or for a religious group, or for whatever it is. He says that, he says that right? He says, uh, who will produce its fruit. Then he says something really interesting in verse 44. He says this, anyone, another kind of twist in this, this story, he says, anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Now, that's crazy, okay? He's talking about kingdom taken from them and given to people who will produce its fruit. And this is a truth. This is the truth of God. This is like a heavenly gemstone, a big one, that he's laying on them and he's saying, and then he says, and anyone who falls on this rock, this truth, this stone, will be broken to pieces. But anyone on whom it falls 
will be crushed. And there's a difference, right? There's a difference between falling on a stone and getting broken to where there's pieces that can be brought back together and a stone falling on you, a ten-tone stone, and crushing you to dust where there is no longer any hope. The big difference is that, is that if you fall on him, you can be rebuilt. And he's in the business of rebuilding. But if he falls on you, it's over, game over. And that's what's happening with these religious leaders and anyone who comes to Christ, who wants to come. It's a difference between being broken versus being crushed. It's a difference between being broken into pieces and being reduced to dust. That, like the threshing floor, blows away. It's gone. It's gone. Big difference in those things. In, in the scriptures, there's lots of uh, passages of scripture, lots of uh, references to the idea of stone and uh, uh, to rock, like like Jesus is the rock of our salvation and, and, and Jesus is the precious stone, right? So there's lots of references to those kinds of ideas of the stone and the rock. A couple of them are these. Moses, back in Moses' time, remember, he, he brought water from the rock, remember? Uh, living water, living water came from the rock. And when we come to Jesus, living water comes from Jesus and we have, we're now living in the living water. We're drinking from the living water like the woman at the well. The living water is Jesus. He is the rock, the rock. And uh, like Daniel, remember Daniel and the statue of the different kingdoms, the different layers of gold and the silver and the bronze, and the feet were made out of like this combination of, of uh, uh, iron and clay. And then this rock, this rock in the vision, he sees this huge rock that was cut out of the rocks, but not cut by human hands, cut by God, and it lands on the feet of that statue and it is reduced to dust. It's crushed by the rock. The kingdoms of the world reduced by the rock of God, who he is. And Samuel said this, there is no rock like our God. And so Jesus says those words to them. And they're, sta they're standing there thinking, this is about us. Now just how bad is it? You know, it's, it's one thing when there's a problem that you have. Then there's another thing when you begin to wonder, like, how big a problem is this? You know, that happens in life all the time, right? Whether it's a doctor coming in the room and you know something's not right, something's wrong. Like, is this something that can be cured or is this something that I'm going to die from? And then how long do I have, right? I mean, it can get very serious very quickly. And that's what they're thinking. Verse 45, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parable... They knew he was talking about them. And so he's, he's called them out, and they get it. They understand he's talking about them. I'm pretty sure they do not agree, right? They're not agreeing that this is about us, right? They're too proud to admit it, okay? Maybe too stubborn to do anything about it. But they know he's talking about them, whether or not they agree or not, probably not. But they know. And so what will they do next? Like, Jesus has called them out publicly in front of everybody there. And the people, remember the people in the passage, they, more and more people are turning to Jesus. And now, not only are they turning to Jesus and away from the religious leaders, but now in this story, in this parable that Jesus just got done talking about or telling, they are now the recipients of the blessing. Another Old Testament thought comes to mind, right? 
So you know in their minds, they're thinking about Isaac and Jacob and Esau. Right? They're thinking about that story, that story, that, that, that blessing, right? When Esau sold his inheritance for a cup of stew and Isaac became the recipient of the blessing and they have sold, they're beginning to realize that maybe they have sold their souls for traditions and for popularity and for a bunch of rules. And, and what Jesus is saying is making direct connections with what they've been doing and who they've become. And in verse 46 it says, they look for a way to arrest him. But they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. And so they begin to understand who Jesus is, and now they're beginning to fear this crowd that's growing in popularity to who Jesus is. And, and this went from a story or a parable about a vineyard and some bad people who killed the servants and killed the son to the reality and the truth of eternal judgment. And the religious leaders are standing there with their jaw on the ground, wondering, what are we going to do? How are we going to respond? Right? And they want Jesus gone. They want him gone, but the crowd outnumbers them. Read the text. That's what it says. So what's going on? When is this in the context of Jesus and his ministry? It's at the end of his ministry. Like if you look at the harmony of the Gospels, most say that this is the final week of his ministry. He's he, he just came in earlier in the chapter. At the beginning of the chapter, if you look back a few verses, you'll see it's the triumphal entry. Jesus has come in. They've put their palm branches down. They've put their cloaks on the ground. They've yelled, Hosanna in the highest. You are awesome. You are great. But in a few short days from now, he's going to spend those last hours in an upper room. With his, uh, you know, He's going to head off to the garden then and pray with them and, and be arrested. And then we know what follows that, right? And so these final days, these are like the final days of Jesus on earth with his disciples teaching the people. Final days, they're very intentional. He knows that these final stories are so important to getting people's attention. These final parables are, are going to tell the tale of, of like what's to come. They're direct and they're warnings. And it's a lot of hard, tough love that Jesus is trying to share as he shares the truth of his father and the kingdom and what is going to come. And this parable, like, is in their face. It's really in their face. To the religious leaders, it's a crushing blow, like dust to dust. They are doomed if they don't repent. But to the outsiders, to all the people that are there that are not the religious leaders, it's an invitation to hope and an invitation to salvation. Like, this is the lifeline that they need so cool. It's a parable, right? And thrown alongside a landowner is creator God. And thrown alongside the vineyard is the kingdom. And thrown alongside the rebellious farmer, the tenants, are the religious leaders. And thrown alongside the servants are God's prophets. And thrown alongside the owner of the son of the air is the son of God, God's only son. And thrown along the side of the other people are the outsiders, you and me. And the wretched end of the wretched is the judgment to come. Right? Peter said it like this. One judgment that has begun, and this is so true, with the house of God. 
right? Jesus is bringing judgment upon the so-called religious leaders of the house of God. This is powerful. I mean, this is big. This is not just about them either. This applies directly to God's church, us. It's huge. It's huge. It happened to them. Hopefully it won't repeat itself with the church today. And, and there's the danger of that, right? That we fall into the same, the same traps that they did. So what does this mean to us? A couple, a couple of takeaways here. What's this mean to you and me? First of all, this, this parable is like, it's a warning. It's a warning. That's what it is. He's a God of love. Yes, amen. God is a God of love. He loves us. He came this first time in love and grace and mercy. But he's also the God of power and judgment to come. He is a God of power. And God is willing and God is able to cut off people who rebel against his will. He is God and we are not. And either we will line up with him and his will or we will be cut off. Not even a few hours ago. If you look at verse 18 of the passage, verse 18, early in the morning, remember Jesus is on his way back uh, to the city and he's hungry and he sees this fig tree on the road and he went up to it. But what did he find on it? nothing except leaves and he said to it may you never bear fruit again and immediately the tree withered and the disciples are like whoa that's insane that's incredible that's that's um, that's that's a miracle but remember it's canon to curb and so there's a meaning behind it it's a warning it's about the lack of fruit in the tree's life, in your life, in my life. It's about being cut off. It's about being utterly destroyed for eternity. Jesus said every branch that does not bear fruit will be what? Cut off. Thrown into the fire. So these religious leaders, you know, they knew all kinds of scripture, just like church people. They were well-versed. They had the law. They had the prophets down. They knew the songs. They knew the history. They knew the data. Right? They had every jot and tittle. Check out look at this picture here. They had every jot and tittle. Remember, Jesus talks about every jot and tittle. Well, a jot and a tittle is very simple. See the little apostrophe up there, that little thing at the top of a letter? That's a jot, and the little leg at the bottom of the second letter is like a tittle. I mean, these things are tiny. Barely even notice they're there. Those are two different letters that have two different totally meanings, but because of that little tittle, it makes it a different letter. And Jesus said, you know every jot and tittle. You got it all down. It's all here, but it's not here. It's not in your heart, right? They knew it all, these people. They had it all. They, you know, God had chosen them from ancients of days. They were heirs to the throne, to the eternal glory and grace and greatness of God. They had the vineyard, they had the blessings of God, but they blew it. They blew it. They totally blew it. They were carried off by their own foolish desires and their own wants, right? Right? And the church, the church needs to, to learn. The church needs to make sure that, that we're listening to what it is Jesus is saying in this parable. They were carried off, right? They were, they were their, their own religious wants, wishes, and ways had become what they wanted more than anything else. Right? It was about them. It was no longer about God. It was about them and what they wanted. And this parable, it serves as a warning that we best be careful. We best be careful. 
The second thing this parable, I think, does is that, uh, it tells us, or, or how it applies to us, is that it tells us that the fruit, the fruit will tell the tale, right? Fruit is going to tell the tale, right? Right? Fruit's going to tell. <laughs> we can fool a lot of people. We fool our parents left and right all day long. We can fool people. We can fool anybody. You know, you could pull a fast one on anyone pretty much at any time if you get good at that. But you and I, we will not fool God. And our fruit will tell the tale in the end. And the biggest problem with the religious ones, the religious leaders, was that they did not bear fruit for God. They were in it for themselves. And the stipulation of the people that would be in line to receive the blessings of God, Jesus says, are people who produce fruit. People who produce fruit. Right? So works do not save your soul, right? They don't save you, but, but they are the evidence that you are saved. They are the fruit that Christ is in you and alive and working, and you will bear fruit if that is true. If you're not bearing fruit, you've got to ask yourself, is Christ in me and alive? That's all there is to it. They don't save you, but you will produce fruit when he comes in. It will happen. In John 15, you remember the story, Jesus tells us a parable about the, or a story about the vine and the branches, not a parable. And in that passage, he says a few things like this. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. So that's the key, remain in Jesus. He says, no branch can bear fruit apart from me. So if you disconnect from me, you will not bear fruit. You will wither and die. Branches that don't bear fruit will be cut off and thrown into the fire, and branches that do bear fruit will be pruned and will bear even more fruit. The fruit will tell the tale of our lives. In Matthew 3, John said, remember I quoted already, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, but then John went on to say, the axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not bear fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And Jesus said in Matthew 15, 13, every plant that my Father did not plant will be uprooted and thrown into the fire. Our fruit, our fruit will tell the tale. The fruit of your life will tell the tale. Is the fruit of your life for God? That's all there's to it. Is the fruit of your life, if, are you living for God? Is the fruit you're bearing for God, or is it for you? That's it. Pretty simple. Number three, the third thing, last thing is this. Harvest time is just around the corner. Right? That's what this parable is trying to say to us, is that it's coming, and it's coming quickly. He's coming again. Jesus is coming again. The Creator has set up this really nice vineyard. We are stewards and caretakers of it. The Kingdom of God vineyard. That's what we'll call it. Right? The Kingdom of God vineyard. And we are caretakers and stewards of it. He's like sent messengers right to the world. Prophets of old. He sent His very Son to share with all of us as human beings the good news of God's love and His grace for us. And what do we do? We killed Him. We killed all the prophets. And we even murdered his son, his only son. We did exactly what the parable says. We did, all of us, the whole human race, guilty. And he's going to return a second time to gather a harvest, not of bread, not of grapes, not of wheat, but a harvest of souls, people who love God and bear fruit for him. That's who he's coming from. The parable is no joke. It's true. It's going to happen exactly like you said it. Jesus said in John 14, don't you say, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. 
They are ripe for harvest. Jesus is coming for his harvest. Make no bones about it. In Acts 1, the angel said he will come back in the very same way you watched him go. In 1 Corinthians 1, 7, it says, we don't lack any spiritual gift as we eagerly await for the Lord Jesus to be revealed. He's coming again. 1 Corinthians 11, whenever you eat this bread, we just did this, and drink this cup, what are we doing? We're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. Right? Harvest time is just around the corner. Like a thief in the night, like a thief in the night in the twinkling of an eye, the trumpet is being warmed up, and the harvest time is just around the corner. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much, and you're so good to us, God. You have given us your word. You've given us your truth. You've, you've given us everything we know to understand the times, to understand who you are, to know how to come into a relationship with you, God, to know how to walk in you, to walk in the Spirit, to walk in the presence of Jesus as we live in this world, to understand that it's not about us, it's all about you, to be aware of the dangers, the, the traps all around us, even us as religious people or Christian people, that, that the traps of, of tradition and the traps of, of religiousness can easily, just easily suck us in. God, we don't want to be about any of that. We want to be about you. We want to live, God, our lives for you. No matter what that might look like, we want to live for you, and we want to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. Father, please help us do that. Help us set our mind on you and you alone and what that looks like, what you want to do in our life, how you want to move in us, not just save us, but save many through us, that we would bear fruit for your kingdom. The spirit of, of, of Christ, the fruit of the spirit would be made alive in us. And we would bear fruit that lasts for eternity. God, we love you so much. Forgive us when we wander off, when we do things we shouldn't be doing, when we dishonor you, when we put our religious ideas ahead of your truth and your word. Forgive us, Father. Help us to repent and bear fruit in keeping with repentance and continue to repent and continue to confess and to continue to bear fruit until the day you return. Help us to remain faithful, Father, to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.